Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Hey, what's up, Centerpoint? So glad you're with us. And um, if you're wondering, we do have a few people in the house today, elders, some of our staff. And so um, if they're going to be here, they're not going to cop out and pretend like they're not here. So if you're excited to be here and you're actually in the room, I want to hear from you right now because, yeah, you're not just going to take up space. Um, you're going to bring it. So we seriously are glad wherever you're coming from. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. And here's what you need to know if you do not know the details yet. Our target re-entry date, as we've said at nauseum, we're not reopening. Uh, we've never been more open than we are now, but we are re-entering, or at least our plan is September 27th. And like everything in the world right now, it's all subject to change, but we are looking hard, praying hard in that direction. And so if you haven't got any of the details uh, or you're a little behind, go to centerpointfl.org slash re-entry. We're updating that all the time. And I just want to say this, I am unbelievably proud of our staff in weeks and weeks and weeks working on processes and procedures to create a, as safe as environment as possible and an experience where you can be confident inviting guests and they're going to experience an alternative to church as usual. We know that we are behind a lot of other people. We're okay with that. We felt like, honestly, for us, that's what wisdom has demanded. That's what leadership has demanded in this season. And um, we're about our community and we want to love our community by protecting our community. But all that to say, September 27th, you can begin praying about that date, praying for our church as we lead up to that. Uh, again, online's not going anywhere. The thousands of you watching all over the place, it's going to continue. You can continue to serve, get in a group, be a part of this church from wherever you are. And we've heard from places all over, but re-entry in person, we're looking at September 27th. So you need to pray and then come strong. So uh, a lot of you that you're so anxious, you're the loudest, that's fine. Um, you, if, like if, if we hear you, we better see you. So September 27th is what we're looking at and we're super excited about that. So go check out all those details. But before we get there, we are in part four of this series, How to Not Be Your Own Worst Enemy. So how many of you have been victims at one point or another of road rage? And I want to see you in the house too, like a few of you. Um, you excited about the fact that you're a victim of road rage? Um, so it, actually, I think more of you have been a victim of it than you realize if you actually understood the definition. I'll say this, if you're outside the Tampa Bay area, you don't live here and you've ever been here and driven on I-4, our apologies um, for everybody who lives here. But here's the actual definition of road rage. Aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver, which that's a no-brainer, but then it actually goes further than that. Behaviors include rude and offensive gestures, like the universal your number one sign is somebody's driving by you, uh, verbal insults, physical threats, or this takes it to another level. Some of you have, have been the perpetrators of road rage and didn't know it. Dangerous driving methods targeted toward another driver or pedestrian in an effort to intimidate or release frustration. 
Like, so that's, that's the actual definition of road rage. And if you, and I don't know if this is road rage, but where you've got that driver or you feel like, and I, I feel this way a lot that I got to drive for me and I got to drive for everybody else on the road. Cause I don't feel like they're safe and they know what they're doing. And then you get that guy that does whatever. And then you feel like you got to get up beside him and then slow down to just like, who am I? Who is this guy? Like, what is he doing? And I need to see him and maybe have eye contact with him. That may be a form of road rage. I'm not sure, but that's actual road rage. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's almost always directed toward complete strangers, which is crazy. But here's another thing. And what I'm about to say, you're going to think I'm making it up. I'm not making this up. You can go do your own research. This is true. This is legit. This is research that people have done. They say this, people who customize their cars with stickers and other adornments are more prone to road rage. Not making that up. And immediately, like, you've got this group of people and and you're like, of course, like all the Republicans that've got the whatever, whatever 2020 or all the Democrats that got whatever stickers on the back or honestly, like with where I'm coming from, I think most of the people that have the, um, you have a terrific kid or the crosses um, with, you know, with the family and a Bible, they may be more prone to road rage than anybody else. So like whatever it is, like people who have stuff on the back of their car, not making this up, are more prone to road rage Um, but here's what it says, actually, this is the second part of it, but only the number of bumper stickers, not their content predicted road rage. So like for whatever reason, there's a correlation. If you got bumper stickers on the back of your car, you cannot control yourself in your car. Like it's a real thing. So my point is just this, all of us have been, there's like a percentage. We've been the victim of that. You've been the perpetrator of it for real, like get some help, but we've all, we've seen it happen. We've experienced it. But here's the thing, road rage or not, we have all experienced rage at some level. And that's a huge word that we don't want, like to use, but I bet there's been a moment. We've all experienced anger and that may be internal, that may be external, but it's been there. We've all experienced it. We've all had it. We've all held, felt the feelings. We've all um, expressed something out of those feelings. But here's the thing that generally we do. We hate to call anger, anger. So generally what we call anger is frustration. I'm just frustrated just frustrated at them. I'm frustrated at this. And generally, like we want to put it out here. So it's all about them. It's all about what they did. It's all about our circumstances. Like if you understood her, if you understand who I'm married to, if you understand what it's like to have a conversation with them, if they would just get it right, if they would just follow through on their promise. And so we kind of like want to put it out here and it's always this circumstance or that person. And we never want to call it anger. But if you sit down with a counselor, like they'll just ask you the question, like, okay, well, emotionally, what's the difference? between what you call frustration and what is actually anger. So we'll get back to that in a second. So in this series, what we're talking about is how, how to not be your own worst enemy. And here's kind of the underlying question of the whole series. And it's just this, how do you say no to the emotions that compete for control? Because the things in your life that ultimately have made you your own worst enemy, they have originated from emotions down inside that maybe nobody else knows about until your filter breaks down and they come out, but you have not dealt with them, whether it's envy, whether it's greed, whether it's anger, whether it's insecurity, but those emotions in the inside, they get to a place because they've been unchecked long enough that eventually they start to control you. And so Jesus said this, and it's so countercultural. Matthew 5, 18, we've looked at it throughout the series. But the things that come out of a person's, what? Yeah, I can't hear anybody online, but there's actually physical people in the building and they can answer this. So, but the things that come out of the, the, the person's, yeah, mouth comes from the heart 
And then Jesus is like, that's what defiles a person. And defile just means literally put you at odds with God. Not that God doesn't love you, not that God's grace isn't available to you, but if you wanna know like in a relationship, there's certain things that cause disconnect in the relationship. You just feel disconnected from the other person. He's like, listen, it's not some breach in arbitrary religious conduct or rules. That's not what God's most concerned about. What God's most concerned about is other people. And generally when you have emotions that are unchecked in your heart, that inner place where all that stuff is coming from, where you don't deal with them, Eventually they're making their way out through your words that affect your behavior, your decision, and ultimately the course of your life and relationships. And that's what puts you at odds with God because it puts you at odds with other people. And what God cares about most is what you do to you and what you do to other people because everybody is made in his image. And he's like, that's why this is a big deal. Not just so that you have better outcomes in life, but because you can't fulfill the one commandment I gave you if you do not pay attention to this. And that is to love other people the way I've loved you. And so you've got to pay attention, not just to monitoring your behavior, because that's what all of culture teaches us to do. Do what you need to do to get a job, get a date, hopefully get a second date, kind of culturally be accepted, say the right words at the right times. And Jesus is like, it is way bigger than that. I want you to begin to learn how to monitor the emotions in your heart before they make their way out of you and ultimately lead you to become your own worst enemy. Because verse 19, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, because it all originates from thoughts. It all originates from the soul. It all originates from inside and leads to murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. And so Jesus is like, if you're specifically, if you're a follower, it's not enough anymore to develop a sophisticated behavioral modification filter. You need to monitor what is going on on the inside of you. Because come on, all of you know this. When ultimately your emotions take control, things get out of control. And it begins to sabotage the areas and relationships in your life that matter most to you. And nothing has done that, this more to us than the whole issue of anger. And come on, if I were to sit down with you and go like, listen, do you want this to control your life? Do you want this motion to direct your life? Everybody is gonna be on the same page regardless of your religious background, no. Like, I don't want this to control me. I don't want this to influence me. I don't want this to lead me to have regrets with adult children later on. I don't want this to lead me into a second marriage. I don't want this to lead me into killing my dream or killing a career. I don't want anger to be the thing that dominates and controls my life. But for all of us, we got stories. Now, here's the thing about anger. Anger is not just extra, extrovert anger, which is generally what we think of. The anger where I'm loud, I'm over the top, I scream and yell, we get into this like back and forth, it's just way over the top. But, but anger is much bigger than just extroverted anger. In fact, some of you, your anger is very controlled anger, but your anger is such that you, you, can, you can be angry and you're scary because the way that your anger manifests itself is in moodiness and in silence. And you use your moodiness and silence to control the people around, me, around you. And you shut them down and you shut them out. Now, if you're in a living room, I'm not asking you to nudge anybody or glance across the sofa at anybody, but like, you know these people in your life or you've met these people where it's not loud, they're very controlled. In fact, some of the people around wouldn't even know they're angry, but you know they're angry. So it's not just extroverted anger. Now, here's the other thing, just to clarify. I'm not talking about what some would describe as crusader anger. Like this is the type of anger where you respond to like evil and injustice. And there is a, what I would call righteous anger to go, something needs to change. And God's actually called me to be a voice or a part of that change. All throughout history, you see that doing incredible things, whether it's civil rights, whether it was women's suffrage, whether it's child labor laws, whether just 
recently with the racial injustice in our country. And some of you um, hate that we talk about that because why are you getting political? It has nothing to do with politics, but you've been so blinded by your politics. You don't understand it is at the epicenter of the Jesus movement that the Imago Dei, everybody is made in the image of God. And so anytime anybody is mistreated, it is a Jesus issue. It is a church issue. But my point in all that is that that's a right kind of anger. In fact, throughout the scriptures, you see that righteous anger is something that actually reflects the heart of our heavenly father. But here's the difference. Crusader anger that fights against injustice or um, you know, evil, it really centers around this. It's what others aren't getting that they deserve. But here's the anger that a lot of us struggle with. It's what I'm not getting that I'm sure that I deserve. And that's the huge difference. Now. There's a dude by the name of James. And James was, this is so important, and I'm gonna look at what he wrote, and it's so powerful. James was the brother of Jesus. That's massive because if you know any of the historical context, James thought his brother needed to be institutionalized through most of Jesus' life. James, the brother of Jesus, thought his brother was a nut job. He was like, there's something wrong with you. Nobody claims to be a Messiah. And you would think the same thing about your brother. And then, and this is why you should say this historically if you're a skeptic, then something changed. And James, who thought his brother was crazy, suddenly believed that his brother was the son of God and the Messiah. Like, how does that happen? How do you make that switch? What do you have to do to convince your brother that you're the son of God? And historically, the linchpin, we believe, is the resurrection. Like, James is like, no, 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 there's no way this is true. And then his brother dies and he comes back to life. And he's like, I'm convinced now. Like, I think you are actually who you said you were because that's what happened when dead people come back to life. And James becomes a follower of his brother. I say that to say, if you're a skeptic, you just need to grapple with that. How did that happen in history? Like, like, how do you turn your brother into a worshiper of you? Like, how does that happen apart from an explanation of your brother died and then came back to life? So that's one point. Here's the other real quick thing before I dive into James. Some of you won't care about this, but the many skeptics who tune in, listen, watch, this is something you should just think about. James ultimately, and this is just historical, you can research this for yourself. James was martyred in 62. James... Um, it, that nowhere is that mentioned in Acts. And, and that's important because James actually became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so in Acts, it's like the 30 year history of the, the launch of the Jesus movement or the church after Jesus died and was resurrected. And so it's incredibly powerful, but there is no mention in there of James being martyred, which like it would be mentioned in there. And then many think that the person who wrote Acts is the same person who wrote Luke, it was Luke. And so there's no mention of James being martyred in Luke. Here's why that's important. Some of you don't care, but I care. And it's a big deal if you're a skeptic. It means that the writing of Acts and Luke at least were well before 62 which means all of the eyewitnesses were still around, which is a really big fact because some of you were in a freshman English class and somebody told you that the writings of the gospel were around 100 to 120 years later and you just bought it and you've been hanging on to that argument ever since. And I'll tell you why they told you that. They told you that because they understand how long it takes for myth and fairy tale to develop and generally it takes about 100 years. It takes long enough for all of the eyewitnesses to die off. And they came to that conclusion, not because of evidence, 
but because they believed it could not be true. And so they dated it on that premise. And I'm just telling you historically, there is no evidence to that whatsoever, but there is overwhelming evidence that all of the gospels were written within about 30 to 40 to 50 years when all of the eyewitnesses were still around. And so this is really important because Luke and Acts were written well before 62. All of the eyewitnesses were there, which gives unbelievable credibility, not just to the message of Jesus, but what happened in the life of Jesus, which that is he died and then he rose from the grave. And I've said this all the time. If you're a skeptic with tons of questions, that's great. If you settle on the fact that Jesus actually came out of a grave alive, game over, you have to become a Jesus follower to be intellectually honest. And so you should just look at that and study that. And now back to, because about half of you don't even care, but that's a big deal. James writes this, which is so huge around this topic and this subject. And he basically asked two questions. And he unpacks this whole idea about anger and how we keep it from becoming our own worst enemy. And he says this, James 3, 13. Here's the first question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Basically, James is like, who has insight? Like who, who looks at the world and understands, because what wise people do, they understand that all of the world and all of life is connected. It's all, it's all linear. That today ultimately is gonna become your past and it's gonna influence your future. And so they live with that perspective. They live understanding that life is not isolated. Decisions are not isolated. There's cause and effect in the universe. There's a rhythm to how the world works. God created that way. And so who has wisdom among you? Who lives with the understanding that life is connected and keeps that perspective? And he says this, if you have wisdom, then show me. Show it by your good deeds and your life, deeds done in humility that come ultimately from wisdom. Here's what James is saying. Wisdom always leads to humility because arrogance doesn't make any sense. Arrogance is irrational. And James is going somewhere, so hang with him. But he's like, listen, if you have wisdom or you are growing in wisdom, you will grow in humility because arrogance is just anti-wisdom. Come on, all of us know this about ourselves. We have no control really about anything. Now, some of you are still living under the illusion that you do, that you created all of your own success, that you're the master of your domain, that you're gonna manipulate and control your future, but you're not. And even if you've had success, there are so many variables in that success that you had no control over. You had no control over when you were born and where you were born. You have no control over your family of origin. You really don't have any control over when you die or how that's gonna look in the end. Like you have no control over anything. And James is like, listen, to live a life that is arrogant, to think that you are in control of everything that you deserve whatever you deserve or you were promised this or, you know, I put this amount of work in, this is what I should get back. It just doesn't make any sense. You are not control over a thing. And so when you live without wisdom, ultimately you live with arrogance. But when you begin to grow in wisdom, you ultimately grow in humility. But here's the contrast, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, basically, if you begin to live like you're in control, if you live without wisdom that leads to arrogance, that I'm, I'm gonna figure things out, I'm gonna get what I'm, I'm owed, I'm gonna control my future, then ultimately that arrogance is gonna lead you to make your life all about you. All about what you deserve, all about what you, th you think, all about what you should get back, all, all about how you think it should end up based on who you are and what you've done. And he's like, listen, if you allow bitter envy to harbor, or literally, if you allow it to dock inside of you, to harbor inside of you, to rest inside of you. And, and it's not checked. 
and you begin to carry it from season to season to season in your life, it's gonna be a problem. And then he says this, don't boast about it and don't deny the truth. James basically is just saying this and he's gonna get to his main point in just a second. Don't get stuck there. Like just acknowledge the fact that your arrogance, if you're living in that place, if you've got some stuff on the inside you haven't dealt with, it doesn't make any sense, it's irrational. You're not in control of anything. You've made your life potentially all about you and you're living without wisdom. Don't get stuck there and don't pretend that you're fine. Don't pretend that everything is good. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then somebody asks you to pass the ketchup and you're like going crazy and like flipping tables over and you're like, what is wrong with this guy? He's psycho because you've all seen that moment where somebody's carrying something and then they have a disproportionate response to something that's not even connected and you're just sitting back going, what is wrong with you? Because they've been carrying some stuff for a long time, living without wisdom, that ultimately leads to arrogance that makes life all about them. They're the center of their universe and eventually it's gonna go bad and lead them in a bad direction. And James, like God has called you to something better. So verse 16, because where you find envy and where you find selfish ambition rooted in people's hearts, come on, some of you, this is your childhood. There you find disorder and every evil practice. When there's arrogance, that gets lodged in your heart. When there's arrogance that ultimately pushes out wisdom and it causes you to make your life about you, and we'll explain that a little more in a second, ultimately it leads to all kinds of disorder relationally, all kinds of disorder in your life, all kinds of disorder in your career. And it ultimately can lead to every kind of evil practice because just mark it down. It will lead you to be able to justify just about anything to get your way. And what's on the inside, James is like, it's coming for you. You may have been able to hide it up into this point, but it's coming for you. And ultimately it's gonna come for the people around you. And so then James is like, okay, so with all of that in mind, that wisdom is the thing that roots out arrogance. It doesn't cause you to make your life all about you. But when you live without wisdom, without the fact that the world is connected, that it's linear, that it's going somewhere, ultimately you'll become arrogant. You won't know how the world really works. And then you'll make life all about you. So he's like, with all of that in mind, here's how you keep anger from lodging in your heart and making you your own worst enemy. And then he asks the second question. He's like, so with all of that backdrop in mind, James 4.1, what causes fights? Okay, with, with all of that truth, you just have to answer this question. So where is all the angry fights, all the quarreling, all the conflict, all the back and forth? Like, where is all of that coming, for, coming from? What causes fights and quarrels among you? And immediately our response is, if we're just being honest, okay, James, all due respect, it, it's not about what, it's about who because our anger is all about who with us. Like if you understood, like, come on, you talk about helicopter parents. I'm 41, my mom is still helicoptering and I can't handle it anymore. And I've always got to drink more and it's hard to not get angry and I want her to back off. Or I've got a ninth grade daughter and I try to have conversations with her. And honestly, she's smarter than me already. So I can't win the conversations and I get so angry and I feel like I can't do anything but slam the door and walk away. And I'm telling you, if you were in that house and you understood, or if you understood my boss, or if you understood my husband, who needs to get a job and get off the couch or he needs to get some friends. Like if you understood what I was working with, you would understand the anger. It's not about what, it's about who. It's always about who. And James is like, no, it's not. And until you understand that it is not about who, it's about what, you will never make progress in this area. And you will live with a limp and ultimately anger will come for you. And you'll become your own worst enemy. 
So he's like, no, 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 let me ask the question again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle inside of you? And like, it's almost kind of an offensive statement because if you're dealing with something right now where you really feel like you've got the upper hand and it's like, no, if you understood what they did, if you understood what I'm dealing with, you understood what I'm coming home to right now. And James is like, okay, we'll get there in just a second. But come on, don't they come, this anger, these angry fights, these quarrels from your desires that battle within you and immediately like, no, 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 they don't come from me at all. They come from them and their inability to see things clearly. And if they would see things clearly, and all my friends say the same thing when we go have drinks and we talk about it, they know that I'm in the right here. If they would see things clearly, if they would understood, they promised, I deserve, I put in my time with this. Like it's all about them. And James is like, no, it's not. It's not. And I'm telling you what James says next in just a second. It is one of the two or three, I think most powerful principles in all of the scripture. And this is not hyperbole. If you can embrace this, if you could get two people in a relationship to embrace this, it'll change everything. It'll change everything in regard to the anger that you're carrying and the fact that you keep trying to work through this and you can't get any traction. And James is like, because you haven't acknowledged what I'm about to tell you and it's why anger is becoming your own worst enemy. And so look at the verse again. Don't they come? from the evil desires, which is such an offensive statement to some of us, don't they come from the evil desires that battle within you? And the answer is yes, every single time. And James is like, no, 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 no. Or if you're listening to James, like, you don't know my story. Let me tell you what's going on. Okay, shh, we'll get to that in a second. You just need to acknowledge this fact first. There is something in you in every argument in every angry exchange, in every quarrel, in every single one of the 100% of the time, where you want something, you desire something, and you're not getting it. And again, immediately our pushback is, no, 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 I earned it. I earned the respect. I earned that you come home on time. I earned the credit for my idea. I feel like I've earned your affection. I've earned the fact that you should listen to me. Like this is just basic relational skills. Again, James is like, shut up. I understand that. But just acknowledge this for a second. There is something that you want that you're not getting. And immediately you're like, but I earned it. And James is like, okay, right. You're not getting what you earned. You're not getting what you want. Yeah, but they promised. They promised they were gonna come through. They promised they were gonna do it. They promised they were gonna fail. Okay, I get that. And you want what you were promised and you're not getting it. You are not getting what you want. So you fight and you quarrel. You have angry arguments. Okay, but, but what they did wasn't fair. Everybody would agree with it. Let me just tell you my story. Okay, I get it. You want to be treated equitably. You wanna be treated fairly. Of course you should wanna be treated fairly but you wanna be treated fairly and you're not, and you're not getting what you want. And so you fight and you quarrel. And James is like, I know this is so difficult to grasp because everybody's got their stories and the emotion is so high. But if you can pause in the moment with that angry exchange where you start to go down that road again, or you start to move toward crazyville and like everything starts to explode. If you can just stop and pause for a second and go, okay, okay you know what? Part of the problem here, even if it's 2%, even if it's 3%, part of the problem in this argument, this fight and this quarrel is the fact that I am not getting something that I want. And if I can have the humility to own that, even if I think they're crazy, it is liberating. And come on, 
We all know what James is talking about. If you can remove yourself from the emotion of whatever your circumstance or situation is, if you have kids. Like we just went to the beach with our kids for a couple of days and we have two boys that are very close in age that fight a lot at their age. It's like Jekyll and Hyde, they're great one moment and then they're, they're fighting over Buzz Lightyear the next moment. It's just like, you never know what's gonna switch and they just start to go crazy. And if you're a parent, you know this dynamic, like they're both arguing their case and it was all them and it was him and here's what he did. And, and you know, like, listen, there is blame to go around. In fact, when you get really frustrated, I'm not recommending this, but you start to do the swat from behind just to see if you can land on anybody to calm the whole thing down. It's not a good idea. I'm not recommending it. Um, but like just that thing of hopefully I can grab a kneecap. I can move the temperature down in this because all of you are at fault. Like we're not gonna try to wade through what the, what the percentage of ownership is. Like all of you are off the rails. It's all crazy. Both of you shut up, stop the argument. And I think our heavenly father says the same thing. Just says that you shut up. Hey, you're the same thing as a four to six year old in the back of a car. And you think your way is right. And you're kind of dividing up the pie of I'm maybe 1% wrong. You're 99% wrong. The bottom line is with both of you. And none of you will own it and you keep fighting and you keep quarreling and you keep going round and round, but you just need to recognize this reality and principle. There is something inside of you that battles within you. It is not out there. And until you can acknowledge it, regardless of what they did, you'll always carry anger. You'll never be able to get rid of it. And so then James says this in the NASB, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill. And like part of this is hyperbole, part of it is not hyperbole, but here, here's what I understand in terms of what James is saying is all of us have seen anger kill things. We've seen it kill a relationship. We've seen it kill a marriage. We've seen it kill a relationship with an adult daughter. We've seen it kill a career. We've seen it kill and destroy a dream. And James is like, until you recognize that the source of your anger, regardless of what is happening around you is in here, until you understand and recognize and own that, you have the potential to go to very unhealthy extremes. Because for some of us, when we get desperate enough, we'll do almost anything to get what we want, to get what we think we deserve or to get what we are promised. And this is so huge, just lean in for a second. And as long as you think it's him, and you can't control him, you will feel like you have an excuse to not control you. So James is like, so you desire and you don't have, so you kill. And you're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel and you start it all over again. And the source of your anger is not out there. It's in you. We aren't getting our way. We aren't getting something that we want. And come on, this is just human nature. We all want what we deserve. We all want what we, we promised. We all want, hey, I put this much in. I should get this much back out. We, and listen, should you be angry about that in certain circumstances? Yes. James isn't saying, don't be angry. James isn't saying it was right. James isn't saying somebody else should be let off the hook. James isn't saying any of those things. James is just saying, if you want traction, and there's a whole nother relationships about boundaries in a relationship that we're not gonna talk about, but in most of relationships where we are struggling with angry, anger and quarreling, he's going, listen, there needs to be a moment where you own your piece of the argument pie and none of us ever wants to do that. And rarely is somebody else on 
100% and we're 0%. Rarely is that the case. And so James is going, listen, if you can ever have the humility to go, listen, here's the, the argument pie I'm owning, even if it's my 2%, just own your 2%. I've talked to you about this before. You own your 2% and you will realize as you get further down the road that that piece of the pie will grow and that you have more and you are culpable for more than you even realize. And James is like, if you can, and I know this is asking a lot, in the middle of an argument or right on the other side of an argument, or when you know you're about pre-argument and you guys are getting warmed up to go there, if you can somehow stop and recognize, yes, I feel like they're not seeing this clearly. Yes, I feel like a lot of this is their fault. Yes, I wish that, that they would change what they're doing. But listen, I just need to acknowledge, I don't always see everything clearly. And my desire to get what I want out of this has the potential to blind me and to steal wisdom and lead me to arrogance and make it all about me. So I'm gonna stop and just acknowledge a part of the problem in this argument, in this relationship is I'm not getting something that I want. And I just need to own that. Like, can you imagine? In fact, let's just do that real quick. Since I have people in the house, they can actually participate. And it's not as awkward as me asking people to say something to a screen where I can't hear you. So I just want us to say this together. I think it'll be on the bottom of the screen. Um, or if you're in the house on the screen up here, like if you could just on the verge of that argument, just stop and say, I'm gonna say it first and then you're gonna repeat it. You know what part of the problem is, right? You know what part of the problem is in this argument, in this fight, this thing that we keep going round and round about? Do you know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. So just awkwardly, if you're in a living room, say it with me. If you're in a dorm room right now and nobody's around and it's not too weird, you can do this. And if you're in the house, just say this with me. You're in the middle of an argument and you just announce it. You know. Okay, you just say it. You don't need to, I don't need to lead you word by word. So I'm just gonna, I'll say you and then you just take it from there. So um, you Okay, that was so library-esque and dull. So like now do it like with some emotion in it, like you actually mean it and um, it's not like you're at church. So ready, one, two, three. You. Okay, it's still terrible, but we'll go with this. So like if you could, now listen, if you just imagine for a second, I know it's crazy. You're, on, you're in the middle of an argument and you just drop that. Hey, hey, listen, I think you're off here. I don't think you're seeing this clearly, but I just want to stop for one second and just admit, you know, part of the problem is here. I'm not getting something that I want. Like there's no comeback to that. There's like, like, what do I say next? Yeah, I'm not getting what I want either. And that actually might be the first step toward progress in these angry exchanges that we've had in a long, long time. And here's what happens when you own anything in an argument or anything in terms of your anger at your boss or your daughter or your mother-in-law or your dad or your brother or your sister. When you own anything, just mark this down, you lose just a little bit of your argument. Even if it's 2%, and you think, well, that's not gonna make any difference. It'll make a difference. Because when you're operating out of the emotional high that they're wrong, I'm right, 100% them, you can kind of manipulate and leverage anything. When you own even 2%, what happens is the, the energy and the power and the emotion in your argument comes down just a little bit. The temperature starts to decrease. And in that moment, you start to create common ground where you can actually make headway. And James is like, listen, this is true in every single one of us and we don't wanna own it. But in every argument, in every part of your angry exchanges, there is something that you want, something that you were promised, something that you think you deserve and you are not getting what you want. And if you can own that, and if you can own what is yours that ultimately will grow 
and it started at 2% and you find out it's more like 30%, you will begin to make traction and you will begin to think more clearly. You will begin to have more wisdom. It will not be all about you. And you will begin to root out and be liberated from the enemy of anger that is ultimately sabotaging your future. So I just wanna ask you a couple questions and we're gonna be done. And I, this is kind of a weird question, but what is your relationship with anger? Like it's a weird way to say it, but what is your relationship with anger? For some of you, if you're just honest, has your anger become your own worst enemy? And you're not maybe extroverted and you're not loud, but man, you are isolating people in your own home and you are shutting people down and shutting them out. You are manipulating with your moodiness and your silence. Guys are really good at this. And like you have become your own worst enemy and your anger is controlling your mouth and your mood. What is your relationship with anger? I know for me, I can control myself at some level and I'm somewhat of an introvert and I can keep calm. But what I know I have the propensity to do is I can use my words very quickly to be very lethal. And so it's not extroverted anger. I'm never, never gonna throw anything, but I understand I have the potential with my words to wound very, very quickly and very, very deeply. Like what, what is your relationship with anger? And here's the reality. You will have to humble yourself and face a very difficult fact if you're ever gonna end it. And so listen, you're kind of on the edge of something right now where you're struggling with this emotion and it rises to the surface. Some of you, you're gonna struggle with it later today. Some of you are gonna have a conversation next week. Some of you are gonna walk back into that environment because it's maybe not in every area of your life, but there's one environment, there's one person that just evokes this anger in your life. And you're gonna have to get to the place on the edge of or in the middle of whatever that thing is to go, listen, I am not going to allow anger to become my own worst enemy. And anger, I know your game. You wanna convince me that it's all about them. It's all about what, it's all about what is going on out here. And I'm not gonna fall into that trap because that's why I've carried this for so long. And I don't even like me anymore. And in some cases, I don't really like my life anymore. I'm not buying into, I know that part of the problem is me. There is something inside of me that I have to own. That's coming out of my arrogance and lack of wisdom and selfish ambition. And I've made this relationship all about me or I've made this thing all about me and I'm not gonna carry this any longer and I'm not gonna buy into your lies. There is something that I need to own and I'm gonna own it. And I'm not gonna allow anger to control me any longer. Cause come on. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me just talk to you for a second. And if you ever embrace Jesus, and what I mean by embrace Jesus, if you ever believe that Jesus lived, which every secular historian now believes, he was a physical person in real life that went to a cross and he died. Nobody disputes that any longer. And then we believe, and I think there is so much historical fact behind this. He, he didn't just die, he, he rose from the grave three days later. And the scripture is so clear that the moment he did that, because Again, not jokingly, anybody who comes back to life, it validates everything they said about their life and death. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And if you ever believe in me, it just means believe that I'm God, believe that on that cross, I died for all of your sin, past, present, and future. And that then I rose again. If you just trust in me, you will have forgiveness 
and you will have life. And what life means is you can begin to live a different kind of life right now. That's what eternal life actually means. And it's life that is gonna move into all of eternity. That God will never forsake you. God will never let you go. As I've said so many times, even if you stumble to the finish line of your life and never get it right, the good news, it was never based on you being able to get it right. It was based on the fact that God got it right for you through Jesus and lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. And so you will die and you will open your eyes from sleep in the presence of your Savior, having been redeemed and forgiven and made whole because that is the good news of the gospel. And it's as easy today. It's not even a prayer that saves you. That's just something so that in our heart and mind, we can kind of declare what we're feeling, but it's just simply say, I believe that, I trust that. Jesus, I want you to be my savior. You become a son and daughter of God. So if you ever embrace Jesus, here's the example that we've been given that is so powerful. And if you are a Jesus follower, this is the example that we've been given that is so powerful. You have a savior that said no to what he wanted so that you could get what you needed most. And Paul said it best about Jesus in Philippians 2.5, that Jesus being in the very nature of God, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Meaning there was nobody, there's been nobody in history that was owed and deserved more than Jesus. And he did not show up on planet earth and go, I want the corner table. I wanna go first. I wanna be on the front seat, I'm Jesus. Like he never played the Jesus card. He never used his authority and his power to his own advantage. He willingly gave it up. In verse seven, and in contrast, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And then Paul tells us exactly how to live out this principle. And he says this, so in your relationships, with that as your model, with that as your leader, with those marching orders and your relationships with one another, a relationship with your mom, your dad, your boss, your neighbor, your roommate, your sister-in-law, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, who being in the very Nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. He gave up everything that he deserved in order to have relationship with you. So as we end, I just wanna say this. It is okay to not get everything that you want and deserve. In fact, it is better to not get everything that you want and deserve if it will keep you from allowing anger to become your own worst enemy and sabotage your life and sabotage your relationships. It's why, a quote that I've quoted many times, it's why Jesus makes your life better in this way. Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at, better at life for this reason. Jesus will always lead you away from self-centeredness and arrogant living. You follow Jesus long enough. You follow Jesus with intensity. You put everything else aside to go, Jesus, I just, I want to follow you as best I can. You just need to know he will lead you naturally away from self-centeredness and arrogance. And he will lead you toward others centeredness and humility. And I'm telling you a life that is lived toward others centeredness and humility. It is a bigger life and it is a better life. 
And Jesus says, that's what I'm inviting you into. Your anger is not worth it. What you deserve is not worth it. What you were promised is not worth it. You do not have to allow this to make you your own worst enemy. All right, so this is the last thing and I really am done. I just wanna say this to couples real fast. So 12 hours from now, you're gonna be on the verge of an argument or two days from now or two weeks from now. And if you're both watching this or listening to this on radio or podcasting or whatever, you're both gonna remember this message. And somebody is gonna go first. So here's what I'd say, and this is not fair. The most mature person is gonna go first. I'll take it another level. Um, the most serious Jesus follower is gonna go first. Not really, but some, for somebody has got to go first and you're gonna get on the verge of something and all of it's gonna come to your mind and all that emotion of what you deserve and what you want and what you think that they're not seeing clearly. Somebody has got to take the first step. Somebody has got to do this. And then last thing, men, here's what I know about us and what I know about you. And I haven't even met many of you. The only thing that is keeping you from taking the first step is your pride. And I just wanna be maybe the first to tell you, your pride is killing you. And your pride may be slowly eroding your marriage relationship and nothing's on the rock, nothing's out of control, but it's not nearly what she hoped it would be what you wanted it to be. And you just keep driving yourself deeper into that hole. In about 10 to 15 years, you're not gonna get this season back and your relationship with your kids and your career and your relationship with your spouse and what you had dreamt of. Suddenly you're gonna be at a place where God loves you, God's grace is available, but you can't get it back and undo it again. And your pride is gonna be your greatest enemy. And so Jesus says through the writings of James, listen, humble yourself. If you want wisdom, you gotta bow your knee. If you want me to really get involved, you gotta bow your knee to me, either physically or figuratively, but you've gotta bow your knee to me. You gotta realize it is not all about you. And when you do, and when you can own what is you, I will begin to break the power of anger in your life. Now, as we get ready to end, I just wanna encourage you on this. For many of you, you need to take a next step. And one of the best ways you can take a next step is through next steps. That may be a next step into community, into a group, into serving somewhere, but all of the things that we teach, they have to be practically lived out. And the scripture is very clear. That happens in community that happens as part of the local churches. We gather for strength, whether that's online or in-house, and then we scatter for light in our community. So I want you to text 90, CC Next Steps to 94,000 to go. I'm ready to take a next step. I'm ready to get involved. I'm ready to get into community. CC Next Steps to 94,000. And then others of you, today has been the day where you've trusted Jesus as your savior. You've made a decision. I would love to know about that decision. We know about all of them. We respond to all of them. And so if you would just text CC Decide to 94,000, we wanna know about what God is doing in your life all over the country. Would you just pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that your word is timeless. And Lord, James could write this 2000 years ago and it, as it, it is as relevant to us today as it was then. And so I pray that in your very unique way that you would apply this to our circumstances and situations. And for many of us, we're gonna make excuses about why we're different, about why this is different, about why our story is different. And God, I just pray that by your grace, you would just begin to remove some of those layers. And that with humility, we would begin to face what we need to face and maybe what we haven't wanted to face. And that my prayer is that for some of us, this would be the moment, this would be the catalyst 
to begin to liberate us and free us from this emotion of anger that's killing some things in our life. And for some of us, it's killing us from the inside out. And so God, just free us. And God, help Jesus to be our example of how to find that freedom and walk out of this and live a different kind of life where you make our life better and you make us better at life. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.